Good evening, Fellowship Mosaic. Let's stand and sing together.
Jesus, may we never lose the wonder. May we never get over truly how great it is to no longer be defined by our worst moments, to no longer be held down by the things that this world would put on us, to call us anything other than son and daughter of the King of Glory. May that always encapture our eyes. May it pull our hearts to see how great you are. May we never lose the wonder. Thank you for an opportunity to celebrate that. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. Amen. Hey, before you sit down, give a little six feet of friendly. Look around you, give some waves. Tell somebody you're glad they're here. You might have to speak up so they can hear you through their mask. And then don't sit down yet. We're not done yet. We're not done. Everybody waved out, all right? Now everybody turn back to the camera and give a big two-hand wave to everybody that's home in virtual land. There you go. Now you can take a seat. Hey, virtual, at home, on your living rooms, on your devices, we miss you. I'm proud of you for fighting to stay connected. Way to just click play, click go. You're here with us. We're so glad. And you that are here, we love you too. My name is Matt. It is a privilege to be here tonight to sing about how great God is. Amen? How great is our God. Hey, tonight's going to be fun. We get to start a new book of the Bible. For the next few months, we are going to start, open up together, go verse by verse through the book of Joshua. This would be a great time, even if you want, to take out your Bible, open in the Old Testament to Joshua, get out something that you can write with, because the notes are going to be coming. Before Mark uh, starts in chapter 1, just going verse by verse, I thought I would take a step back and give you a little bit of an overview so that we see the text within the context, so that we know and understand a little bit before, maybe even a little bit after, what is going on. You know, for years, uh, our equipping team, our equipping strategy, we have a teach-through-the-Bible method called Panorama, a 12-movement study to know and understand the 12 movements of the Bible. What we're starting tonight is movement number four. And what's happening here is the setting is Joshua is about to take the baton from the man of God, Moses, who knew God, who walked with God. And now Joshua, this simple servant, is about to lead the nation of Israel into the land that God promised Abraham 600 years before. And what we're going to see, whatever uh, within this movement for, you can really divide it up into three parts. There's an entrance, there's a conquest, and there's a possession of the land. But we're going to see these two things again and again, whether we're, we're in any one of those three phases. We are going to see God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. And then we're also going to see God's people experience these promises through faithful obedience. Now, you might find it interesting, later in the New Testament, when they tell stories, it's not just kind of sit around the fire and start chatting about all those cool stories from the Old Testament Joshua days. They reflect almost in a picture kind of way. It's a picture of the process and even the struggle of following Jesus, being made to look like Jesus, the sanctification life of living and loving like Jesus. And so here's some goals that we as a teaching team, as a pastoral team, have for you, Mosaic. You ready for them? There's two of them. Hold up a number one. 
number one goal is biblical literacy. We want you to know the Bible. We want you to hear and see and understand and get it and love it. And we believe, like we know many of you do, as Psalms 103 says, that in our places of pain and wandering, that God sends out his word to meet us and to heal us. The word of God has a healing agent, a healing effect on our soul. And we want to be the kind of people that become biblically literate to know and understand God's word. That's goal number one. Hold up a number two. Goal number two is gospel fluency. It's more than just passing the test on Bible Jeopardy. It's actually going from head, that 18 inches down to heart. That we would believe the good, the good news that Jesus is real, that God saves sinners through his son, Jesus. That that will meet us in this space. So for example... As Mark talks tonight, we're going to see three times, be strong and courageous. Now, I don't know about you, but any time that a command is repeated three times, it must be that fear is running rampant. It must be that worry is evident. It must be that passivity is just palpable and present and right there. So for your own hearts as you're sitting right now, it's not just knowing the text. That's part of it, biblical literacy, but also Jesus' trusting gospel fluency is that God's word heals you and calls us to be strong and courageous. And then also, in this time, this last year, where dysfunction of the soul has been exposed, hasn't it? You look all around, and it's just chaos. Friends, fear and worry and passivity actually become great on-ramps to hope as we see it, that a gospel fluency would be birthed in us, that we can step in and offer the hope of Jesus, that people could actually experience, be strong and courageous for themselves in Christ. Now, what we're not going to do, we're not just going to say, and good luck with that. Go, have fun. We're going to give you a lot of opportunities both to hear the word and be equipped in it. So, you got again, you got your pen out, you got your phone out, and want to click on the QR code to see some of these resources. I have three that are going to come in the next couple of weeks. Here they are. Number one, the first Wednesday in February, our friend Doug is going to lead for our creating space time. He's going to do an overview of the whole book, and you have the opportunity to ask any question that you have. Now, if you know anything of the Bible or studied Joshua before, you know that there's some theological complexities in there. This is going to be a space that you can hear it in an overview kind of way and ask questions. Second thing, we are, our training center team is going to offer uh, Nick Rowland a virtual class. You can go onto our Mosaic News, hit, hit that QR code, you can see it, from February 2nd to March 9th. This is the Panorama Plus 4. This is the, this is the Track 4, and you're going to get it just the really the meat and potatoes of Joshua. You will really start to see what it's all about. And then lastly, and this might be the most important of all, in your disciple-making communities, every week after we teach God's word, as we trust that it's going to shape us, heal us, mend us, we're going to get together in our disciple-making communities, whether that's virtually or, or spaced out or however your leaders kind of choose how to do that. And there is discussion guides to help that gospel fluency process unfold. I encourage you to all of it. It is all going to be really good. The writer of Hebrews, he compares going into Canaan as entering the rest of God. 
Friends, rest comes from following God in whatever and wherever he is leading you. So as together we, we, we collectively take a deep breath. Here we go. Ready? In preparation and hopeful expectation, let's pause. Let's pray. And let's trust that we're going to meet God in this space, okay? Bow your heads with me. Thank you, Lord, for every opportunity. Thank you, Lord, for every moment like this to open God's word and just hold it, to sit in it, to believe it together as a community. Lord, as we seek to be a body that lives as one, as we seek to to be sent from here into the world, I pray that you would both mend our hearts and give us a vision to be hearers of the word and doers of the word. God, use the story of Joshua to meet us in our own fear, our own worry, our own passivity, that we would be a people like them, strong and courageous for your name's sake. We can't wait to be mended by your word. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, how are you this evening? That's okay at best is all I'll say, okay? How are you this evening? Good, good to see you. Hey, and looking back over the last three weeks that ended up the holiday season for our family, um, probably the best holiday tradition that our family observes is actually on New Year's Day, even more than Christmas Day, New Year's Day for us. Uh, And the tradition actually started back in 2000. Uh, When we celebrated, as the six of us at that time, uh, New Year's Day 2000, we had just come through a very hard and difficult, even tragic year of some loss. And somehow in that, we started a practice that has become so meaningful that for the last 21 years, we've kept it going. It was so simple. All we did was pass out some three-by-five cards to every member of the family. We had them write down the current year or the past year on one side, And then we ask the question, where did you see the fingerprints of God during this year? And at whatever age level they were at, they articulated that. And then we had them turn the card over and write the new year down. And we said, this time next year, what do you hope you will be able to say as God works in your life? Those cards have become so meaningful to us that I have a firebox in our master bedroom closet with 21 years of those cards from our family. It's just a simple way to to kind of mark the transition from the past to the future. And that's what the book of Joshua does for us. It's a book of transitions. Israel is a nation, a people in transition. They have gone from a past that's been marked by at least almost four decades of wandering around in the desert, and they're about to head to a future of settling into a land of promise. But not just that, the namesake of this book, Joshua himself, he's a, he's a man in transition. He's going from a past of following Moses as his leader and the nation's leader to now a future where he will lead this large nation of at least a million, possibly even two million people into the land. And the book of Joshua is gonna teach us so much about how we mark transitions from the past to the future. Because if you've done life for any length of time, you know that one of the arts to living well is how to make transitions well, right? From something in the past to something in the future. So how do we do that in a way that 
walks with God by faith. What do you say we open up, Joshua 1? See what God has to say about that. And just as Matt prayed for us, before we open God's word, right now I want you to breathe a prayer that says, Holy Spirit, open my ears and heart. Amen. Joshua chapter one, verse one. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan River, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your feet will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all of the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun, that's the west, the great Mediterranean Sea in the west, this shall be your territory. And this opening setting in the book, right up front answers three questions that you kind of have to know if you're gonna understand the activity of Joshua. The first thing is, who is Joshua? The second question is, what is this land? And the third is, why does it need to be conquered in the first place? Well, Joshua, to answer that question, is listed here with a title. Do you see it? Moses' assistant. Moses has a title, and his title is servant of the Lord. And folks, titles, they matter. The book of Joshua, as we walk through it, you're gonna see 15 times the title the servant of the Lord. 14 of those apply to Moses. Only one time does it talk about Joshua. And it's at his epitaph, the last chapter of the book talking about his death. The rest of the time, Joshua is highlighted as Moses' assistant, the one who's taken the baton from Moses and running forward to lead the people into the land. And that's actually a fitting title because Joshua has been Moses' right-hand man since the exodus from Egypt. You actually meet Joshua in the Bible in Exodus chapter 17. And there, Israel is fighting their first battle against the Amalekites, and Joshua is their general. You see Joshua come up in classic passages like Numbers 13, where he is, uh, Moses sends 12 spies into the land of Canaan, this promised land, to do a little recon mission. And Joshua and his friend Caleb are only two spies that come back and say, the odds are huge. The men who can fight there are like giants to us, but we should go because the Lord will give us this land. The other 10 spies, they say the odds are huge and it would be a suicide mission to obey God on this. So we, so we should stay put. And because they lead Israel in a faithless rebellion, you and I would call that passive aggressive, okay? A faithless rebellion to God. God takes that living adult generation and he marches them around the wilderness for 38 years, about 38 and a half, until they die off. And now a new group, a younger generation, rises up into adulthood and Joshua is their leader. And that means, when you think about it, Joshua is one of only two people in Israel at this time 
who has experienced or will experience everything an Israelite can experience. He's known what it's like to be a slave in Egypt. He's known what it's like to actually see with his own eyes the miracles uh, in the Exodus. He's known what it's like to, to have that gut check moment and turn back away in fear. Or at least he's seen his nation do that uh, when they didn't enter the land 38 years ago. He's known what it's like to wander for 38 years waiting for his time. And now he knows what it's like to walk with God into the future and to experience the promise of God. This is a monumental transition of faith for this man. He's about 80 years old, by the way. You know where everybody else is plotting exactly how much travel they'll do? He says, enough with that kind of travel. I've done 38 years of it. Let's go settle. And it'll be his largest mission of faith yet. So if that's who Joshua is, why do they have to enter this land in the first place? And why do they have to conquer it? And to understand that, you have to understand a little bit more of the bigger story of God. Joshua and Israel's past goes back long before their time in Egyptian slavery. Their conquest story here, before they get to the land of Canaan, this land of promise, it actually has its roots all the way back about 600 years before to the book of Genesis and a man named Abraham, who's the beginning of the nation of Israel. You see, the story of Israel is the story of God in human history. So if you've ever wondered how it is the God of the universe interacts with men and women on earth, it finds its roots in the story of Abraham. Book of Genesis tells the story of the creation of mankind, but then also the fall or the rebellion of mankind in sin. It tells us of God's judgment of mankind at the flood in Noah, and then how Mankind, even after kind of a reset button there, still grows in sin and rebellion towards God, toward this building a tower of Babel that says we are going to be like God ourselves. God steps into that and thwarts that plan of arrogance by dispersing the people and giving them many languages and sending them into different nations and different people groups. But man's sin does not upend God's plan. God still wants to save and redeem every people on the planet. And so he launches a rescue mission. And the rescue mission's launched through, through one man and one promise. This one man would be a gateway, a door of God's blessing to, to all nations. And that man's name was Abram. Later, the people who came after him would call him Father Abraham. Genesis 12 is where we meet him. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I'll show you. And I'll make of you a great nation and I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I'll curse and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I 
will give this land, not just a land, but this land. And we call this the Abrahamic covenant. And you can't understand the book of Joshua. Really, you can't understand much of the story of the Bible without understanding what God is doing in this promise, this covenant to Abraham. He gives three unconditional promises to Abraham. Not just here, but at least on five other occasions in the book of Genesis. First, he says, I'll, I'll give you a very specific land, and Canaan is that land. Second, he says, uh, is the promise of a seed or a great nation. That's a pretty huge promise to an old man who has no children. And third, he says, uh, he'll bless him in ways that actually end up blessing the world. In other words, we are a very happy people because Abraham was blessed. He became the pipeline to which you and I experience the blessing of God. That man, Abraham, and that covenant is the groundwork for the way God works through the rest of the story of the Old Testament, even into the New. The Abrahamic covenant is the foundation of all the other major covenants that come after that. So the next major covenant that God makes is with a man named Moses, and that Mosaic covenant we call the law. And all it does is describe how the people will live in the land. And then the next major covenant he gives is to King David, and we call it the Davidic covenant. And its job is to amplify the second part of the Abrahamic covenant, how that great seed or great descendant would bless all the nations, and his name is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And then the third major covenant that the Old Testament gives is called the New Covenant, given to Israel, inaugurated by Jesus, and its job was to amplify the blessing of the Abrahamic covenant. The blessing that people will be forgiven of sin and God will make them new. See, when you understand the Abrahamic covenant, you're starting to get the plot line of God's great drama on this planet. You know, I actually, I think it's so critical that we understand a little bit of the magnitude of the Abrahamic covenant. This week, I actually sat down early on Tuesday morning and tried to count up all the number of times that the Bible refers to the Abrahamic covenant. And do you know what number I found? I don't know, I ran out of stamina. I, I could just tell you it's hundreds and hundreds of times. In fact, every time you're gonna pick up and read in a Psalm something that says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it's tying you back to this promise to Abraham. When you read phrases in the Bible like the promises of old, that ties you back to the original launching of the plot line, this blessing to all people through one man, Abraham. In fact, the Abrahamic covenant is good news to God's people of all ages, including this very modern people who live 4,000 years after Abraham in northwest Arkansas on a Saturday night right now. The church is glad for this promise. Look how Paul describes in the New Testament the Abrahamic covenant. Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, he says, In the scripture... Foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, that's us, the church, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith 
Have you trusted Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham, as your Savior? Then he's talking about you. You are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Folks, this is more than Bible trivia. To understand the Abrahamic covenant is to understand the story of God, and it's huge to us. We find ourselves 4,000 years after that covenant was made with Abraham. But Joshua found himself in the middle of the story, right at the transition, before they entered this specific land. Let's go back to the book of Joshua and see what God says to him. We're gonna read this longer section in one sitting. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Why? So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. Why? For the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. What do you notice in the text first and most? Hint, it's kind of highlighted on the screen. Yeah, be strong and courageous. Three times God commands this to Joshua. Each time he actually amplifies it more. The first time he says, be strong and courageous. The second time, be strong and very courageous. The third time he says, be strong and courageous and I'll tell you what the opposite of that looks like. Don't be afraid or dismayed. Now I'm just gonna go out on a limb. If God takes the time to say this to Joshua three times, I hunch that Joshua must have needed to hear it three times. Why? Well, I don't think it's because we could write Joshua off as a timid and fearful man, because that's not the bio I read of him all through the story of the Exodus, nor Numbers. Joshua is still the man who is General Joshua of Exodus 17 and the courageous spy of Numbers 13. So this is not a, a man who's just given to shaking in his boots. But this is a new season in Joshua's life. He's never had to lead them like this. He's always been Moses' right-hand man. He's never had everybody else look to him. And Joshua, he must feel some fear as he enters a new season of his walk with God. A whole new journey with God and a whole new challenge of leadership and fear is natural. In fact, I'll just tell you up front, I am hesitant to follow any leader who doesn't have some level of healthy fear when they're stepping into a God-sized task. 
If that leader has too much swagger to them, I just don't wanna go with them. That usually just means that they've way overestimated themselves or way underestimated the challenge. No, there is something going on in Joshua's heart that needs courage. And that something, by the way, has a name. And it's called fear. And you know it. And the last challenge you had to step through. When our kids were little, and walking through all the new transitions that all children do, whether it's heading off to school for the first time, or heading off to high school for the first time, or being lonely through high school, or any other things. We used to talk a lot about fear and courage, and in our little house, we came up with a definition of courage, and it sounded like something like this. Courage is simply doing what's right, even when you're scared. Franklin Roosevelt's attributed to this quote that's a little more profound. It's actually been also said by Ambrose Redmoon, Meg Cabot, and about six other authors. So who knows who actually said it first, but someone wise said it. And it says that courage is not the absence of fear, but the judgment that something is more important than fear. And so now I wanna ask you a question. What's more important than your fear? I think the passage we just read in Joshua answers that in three ways. Look at the first thing, back in verse six. I think the first thing that's more important than our fear is believing God's promises. Verse six, be strong and courageous for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore, that's a promise, to their fathers, all the way back to whom? Abraham, to give them. And so strength and courage has to have a source. And God says, if you really wanna be strong and courageous in a new walk of faith, you better make sure your strength and courage is anchored in the right source. And the substance of Joshua's heart strength is to be on what God has promised to do. And God calls Joshua to believe in him not believe in himself. Now, please don't miss that because that is so counterculture. You can't live 40 minutes on our, on our planet, especially in American culture, without hearing the mantra, believe in yourself. But God says to Joshua, if you want strength and courage, trade up to something a little more sure than you. You see, this is the opposite of even the Christian self-help that is so propagated. Folks, this is not a girl wash your face kind of message. Or your best life now, empty out the negative, get the road back to you, self-help kind of pull yourself up by your bootstrap, life of faith. This is a look at who God is and look at what God has done and anchor your source of courage in him. And then allow that to actually propel you forward with him. It's rooted on what God does on behalf of his people. The promises of God are the substance of your faith. In fact, I'd go so far to say this. Your faith will only be as strong as the promises of God you bank it on. Christianity is not asking you to have faith in your faith. 
Christianity is taking what little faith you have at this moment, whether Jesus calls it a mustard seed or one that's a strong rock, it doesn't matter, but you take that and you anchor it on who God is and what God does on behalf of his people. And when you look at the scriptures, you see the prime mover, the main character in the story is God, and he has done something on our behalf, he is doing something on our behalf, and he will do something on our behalf. And so we drop anchor in all three of those, and strength comes to hearts that tend to fail and get fearful and, and even faint at times. I meet with a group of pastors in Bentonville uh, just to check on each other, mutually encourage each other, pray for one another, and sometimes do too much silly laughter. Last month, we prayed through Psalm 73. The closing line is still so dear to me. The nearness of God is my good. And this is what you do on behalf of your people. And it restates it. That is faith building. And one of the most important promises that God makes in his word is the second thing we see in Joshua. It's about his presence. Look at verse five and nine. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. Why? He doesn't say, because you got this. No, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And the second thing that causes us to overcome fear and to live courageously and participate with God is seeing his presence. Over and over again, Joshua will be encouraged with God's personal presence. And this is what brings him strength. You know what I noticed on social media right during the holiday season? Over and over again, and we kept posting things like, can't wait for 2020 to come to a close. Sure need a, a new year and put this bad year in our rearview mirror and a good new year ahead of us. Did you see that as well? Everywhere. Now, I'm not a pessimist, but this is the first thing I thought every time I read those. Really? How do you know that 2020 was not just a warm-up act for a far more disastrous 21? What if this was just the beginning entry-level band before the main act takes the stage? I mean, how do we know? No, security doesn't come in a pep talk that we can have no control of the outcome. Security comes by knowing that whether the year had unfortunate incidences or things that we celebrate, God is with us every step of the way. In the good and in the bad, the Lord your God is with you. Whatever this year holds, and where the Lord is, the Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, there's joy, there's peace, there's blessing, there's happiness regardless of the circumstance in your path. In fact, Jesus gave marching orders 
that didn't guarantee good circumstances, but his marching orders did guarantee one thing. Lo, I will be with you even to the end of this age. We have God's presence and it gives courage to step into whatever he is calling of you. How about the third thing? Verse seven. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do all the law that my Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left. Why? That you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. So here's the reality. You cannot separate believing God's promises and seeing God's presence apart from obeying God's word. Because when you open this book, it's how we encounter the living God who promises his activity in our life and his presence with us in this life. And when we open this book and read it, we're not just learning about God's promises and learning about his presence. No, that's what we do with science textbooks. We are experiencing God's promise and God's presence. The written word is one of the major ways God gives us courage to walk with the living word of God, Jesus Christ. So often during this time of the year, particularly the beginning of a new year, many of us make renewed commitments to, to reading the word of God. I have, have you? You know that sense of like, Lord, I want to take your word more seriously, which is really another way of saying, Lord, I want to take you up on your word that your word will feed me through your promise and your presence. Well, we're only three weeks into the new year. How are you doing? Keep going. It was Andy Stanley who once said, American Christians revere the Bible. They just don't often read it. Ouch. We will march in protest when you take down the statue of the Ten Commandments, just not totally sure what those ten are. Is this book the food that strengthens your faith? And it is, it fortifies our faith. It helps us from failing or fainting or, or fearing. Look back at verse eight. There's a key word on how we're supposed to approach the word of God. And it's that word, meditate. You see it back in verse eight? He says, I, I don't want you to leave this word. In fact, the best way to not leave this word is to make sure that you meditate on this word. Meditate means to muse or mull it over or continue to ponder it. It actually comes from a Hebrew root word that means to growl. That doesn't make any sense except when I play tug of war with my dog. She's not letting go. 
She's just locked in on this thing, and that's what it means to meditate. Meditate has this sense of processing it over and over and letting it change you. Those who know me know that I love good dark roast coffee. And uh, I especially love it when coffee is made in an old school percolator style pot, the kind that I use when I go camping. A percolator has two chambers. The coffee's up top, the water's down below, and as it heats, it goes up the chamber, the chamber and it pours over the grounds. And it doesn't just do it once like my automatic drip coffee maker in the kitchen on the mornings. It goes over and over and over again, and every time it does, you can see that coffee getting darker and richer and stronger, and can you smell it right now? Starbucks is 0.8 mile down the street. And as it heats up over it and over and over it, it changes gradually to something that is just delightfully transformed. We were built, our souls were built to percolate on the word of God. I don't know if we're the hot water that pours through the word or if the word is the hot water that pours through us as the grounds. All I know is it changes us and our hearts are richer and fuller and stronger and more able to participate with what God has for us in the transitions of life. See, the reality is this percolating, this meditating actually changes who we are on the inside. We don't just make surface changes of hearing something and going and doing something. No, we actually have a change of being. The myth is that when we approach the Bible, it looks like kind of a straight line. You know, we hear the word of God, now go do the word of God. I wish the Christian life was this simple. It's just not the case, and it's not the way the, even the Bible describes how the word works in us. We do hear the word and we do do the word, but something happens in between. It's an internalization process that looks more like a cycle. Joshua calls it meditating. Uh, Paul likes to call it renewing the mind in Romans 12. The point is that something is processing through us and the hearing is now changing a being which then starts to show up in my doing and well, all of a sudden, the woman of God starts to do the works of God because she's just been changed. Yeah, something happens in us. Paul connects this transforming process. I've been closing out my times this week in my Bible reading before work, and I've been reading the pastoral epistles, and I noticed that 2 Timothy is Paul's last message to his dearly loved son in the faith. If you could give your child their last message, what would it be? And Paul takes him back to the beginning. And he says, but as for you, Timothy, my dear son, the boy I love, this man of God, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you have learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Keep going, Timothy, he says. Let it renew you. And then he gives this punchline. And this is awesome. All scripture, he says, even the genealogies back here, 
that we wonder why they're there? All Scripture is God-breathed and useful, or another version says profitable, to teach us, rebuke us, correct us, and train us so that the man or woman of God may be adequate in every good work. Do you see the word of God that way? It is not information for your head or only information for your head. It's primarily transformation for your soul. And when that happens, Joshua says, something changes in our life. I want you to go back to Joshua chapter one and watch what he bookends the word of God with. He uses a phrase before it and after it, and the phrase is the same. He says, you'll have good success. Does anybody want to say, really? Because I've had some things not work out in my life. Maybe this is where we need to understand what success is. Because in our culture, success is typically defined as getting what you want. But that's not what Joshua 1 is talking about, is it? Joshua 1 is God giving his plan, age-old, 600-year plan, of taking the land that he is giving Joshua and his people. So God's definition of success is joining what God is doing. And men and women, that's what happens when we lock into the word of God. See, I believe that what grabs our attention will ultimately hold your affection. And what holds your affection will shape the direction of your life. So what grabs these, your eyes, will hold this, your heart, which will shape how you do this, the practical direction of your life. Will you choose to focus your attention on God's word as we continue to head into a new year? If you will, it will shape your life and you will enjoy joining God and you and I would just call that success. Look at how Joshua brings this message to his people. So verses one through nine is God talking to Joshua. And now in verse 10 and 11, it's Joshua going to talk to the people. And it says, Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions or your supplies. For within three days, you are to pass over this Jordan. That's the Jordan River to go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Isn't that an interesting message? He goes to this huge group of people and says, prepare your provisions so that we can cross the river. I would think he would say, build a boat. Wouldn't you? Because they've been walking in a desert for 38 years. They didn't have a boat yet. So this might hint, foreshadow a miracle that's coming in two weeks but we'll hold that for a couple of chapters. But he says, this is what's gonna happen to you on the other side of the river. Two things are gonna happen. He says, first, you'll take possession of it. And second, God will give it to you. Wait a minute, time out, which one is it? Do they take it or does God give it? Answer is, yes. And now you see a major theological point in the book of Joshua that we'll unpack through the weeks to come. And that is that we participate with what God is doing. 
Think about it this way. This major point is divine activity and human responsibility coming together. Or maybe you could say it this way. God provides and we participate. Or you could say it this way. God gives and we go. And they come together for this phrase that Joshua has been told is called good success in life. And that tells me that the life of faith is no passive endeavor. It's active participation with God. Boy, that's enough for me to chew on for one night. Maybe for one whole week. All I see in Joshua 1 as we launch this series is that courage and successful participation with God comes from believing in his promises, seeing his presence, and obeying his word. And the fruit of that kind of spiritual walk is this richer and deeper and fuller and yes, stronger and more courageous heart. And I need that in the transitions of my life. How about you? Don't forget, what grabs your attention holds your affection. So it tells me that it would be wise for us to lock our attention in on the right things. I want to ask the worship team to come out and to lead us through worship in a time of communion. If you want, you can grab a hold of your communion elements and just hold those right now and allow our attention and our affection to be drawn to Abraham's great seed, Jesus Christ.
If you'll grab your elements. I love this Psalm 32:10. Unfailing love surrounds those who trust in the Lord, who put their trust in him. May we be a people that trust the Lord and enjoy his love because he is with us. He is present with us. And, uh, and I just am reminded of that when we take communion. I think that's part of, the, part of the message of communion. He's with us. Do this in remembrance of me. And lo, I am with you to the end of the age. Those two statements can go together. So before we cross the river into the promised land, he's with us. And this is when every, whenever we take the cup and whenever we eat the bread, it's a reminder that he's with us. And when we cross over, he's with us in the fullness. And we look forward to that day. And so let's do it together. You can grab your bread. Top there. And let's take and eat in remembrance of Jesus. And his body was broken for us and his blood was poured out for the forgiveness of sin. So we take and drink in remembrance of that. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence. Thank you for your saving work on the cross. Thank you for your example that you came to, to co-suffer with your creation, that you might redeem it. God, may we live and love like you. May we lay down our lives knowing that you're with us and you're empowering us to do it. Thank you, Jesus, that you led the way. May we follow you.
Before you go, it is our great privilege to equip you, to encourage you, to send you to be the kind of people that stay connected to God, connect with one another through disciple-making communities, and then are sent, scattered to the corners of Northwest Arkansas to, as Mark said, join with what God is doing. I wonder from tonight, what grabbed your attention and what, what's going to hold your affection? Hey, I have a prompt for you, whether it's your disciple-making community this week or maybe it's just chips and queso after church, whatever it might be. Here's a couple of questions. You can get them in your discussion guide or just snap a picture with your phone. What is God calling you to that requires courage? What promises can you lean on as you pursue that calling? That's real, that's good. And two, how does focusing on God's definition of success instead of our culture's definition of success free you to step into what God is calling you to? Whew. You might have to ask for a second round of salsa for some of those, huh? Those are good. Mosaic, we love you. We're praying for you. We're praying with you. Go tomorrow. Enjoy your Sabbath. Grace and peace. Good night.